0: Hey, guys, it's Jason. You know I am the improve always and always guy. Have you ever wanted to live the improve always and always lifestyle day in and day out? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. It's the Vitruvian Lab. And you can go to the Apple Store right now and download it for free. And I got to tell you about my latest course. It's Massively Transformative Habits, MTH. This is a course where I not only give you the science, fact research of those universal habits that every single one of us need to adopt for better health, better thinking, better relationships, living longer and living healthier. But also, I give you the behavioral science that will help you understand how to make these behaviors habits. It's one thing to know what you should be doing. It's another thing to know how to start habits. But combining the two, knowing exactly what you should be doing every single day of your life for a more joyful, fulfilling life, a healthier life, and also how to make those habits stick. It's all in massively transformative habit. Here's where you can learn all about it. Jasonrightnow.com forward slash M-T-H. Jasonrightnow.com forward slash M-T-H. Go out to the app store, download the Vitruvian Lab for free. Then go over and check out Jasonrightnow.com forward slash M-T-H. There's only going to be 50 slots for this initial cohort. I want you to check it out. If you have any questions, contact me. Find out if this is right for you. I would love to talk to you. That's jasonrightnow.com forward slash MTH. Check out massively transformative habits. Now, enjoy the show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I almost forgot the best part. Because you are a Jason Wright Show listener, you get 100 off the course should you decide to take it all you have to do is put in promo code podcast at the checkout and you get the course for a hundred dollars off check it out promo code podcast go right now jasonrightnow.com forward slash mth i will see you there All right, so one of the things that I get asked about the most is the fact that I do uh, cold baths or I actually have an ice barrel that I jump into, or I don't jump into it, but I climb into it almost on a daily basis, depending on whether or not it's gotten warm. I live in Texas, and so sometimes the water's just not cold enough to really do the trick. So I actually uh, take cold showers for that. And there's a specific way that I do that to get the most impact for not being able to be submerged in the water. That um, kind of simulates the, the benefits of the cold plunge that I'm trying to uh, try to, to get uh, whenever I'm not able to actually get into the ice barrel. Or like if I'm at a hotel or something, I always try to simulate it with a cold shower. And, uh, but, and, and the reason why I wanted to come on and talk about this today is because of all the topics that I cover on the Jason Wright Show and in the Vitruvian Letter... The one that seems to get the most attention all the time is cold plunging. I've posted on social media about cold plunging. And in fact, Ben Greenfield, who, if you don't know who Ben Greenfield is, check out Ben Greenfield live. He's phenomenal. I mean, he is probably the the ultimate in health and wellness that there is out there. He's definitely my muse for for longevity and, and slowing the aging process. But he has a video that he did on YouTube, very basic, of... The just how to take an, an ice shower, and as simple as that sounds, he almost he laughs because it is one of his most popular videos and has been for a long time. It's kind of like I remember looking at this um, video by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss of all the videos and of all the things that Tim Ferriss has done, his most viewed YouTube video is one of him uh, taking the shell off a boiled egg without having to peel the shell off, which he learned from my friend, Dr. Michael Eads, the author of Protein Power, who's been a guest of the show a number of times, so I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, what I want to do is come on here and give you some of the actual details of cold plunging because here is, what for the the people out there that are just basically unlike me, the, the people that are like actual normal people, just kind of living their lives, When they see me post something like going and getting into an ice barrel whenever it's 30 degrees outside, they they tend to think that, oh my gosh, that's just Jason being Jason doing something weird, which is perfectly fair, Uh, but I really wanted to dig into why I do it What are some of the benefits of it? Just at a a surface level. But then I wanted to take it a step deeper. So I wanted to bring in Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is a neuroscientist at Stanford University. Brilliant guy. If you have not heard of him, check out his work. He has a a fantastic... Phenomenal podcast called the Huberman Lab that has really blown up in the last couple of years, and he goes into some of the the impacts of cold thermogenesis and the and how you relate it to your circadian rhythm, and he dives into a deeper, more granular explanation of why this is important, the impact it has on your body. So I'm going to play a clip from uh, from his show so that you can get an even more detailed understanding of. Why you may want to add cold uh, therapy to your protocol for just overall health, well-being, your mood, your mental state, your metabolism, managing your blood sugar. I mean, like for me, one of the main things that it's come to do for me, like like I love all those benefits I just named as far as uh, helping to uh, it, you know increase my metabolism. Oh, the the shivering effect that you get actually ignites something in your body to start burning fat for to, to warm you up uh, the the blood sugar regulation I mean that's just that's one of the things that you've heard me talk about on this show quite a bit probably is that one of the single most important factors for longevity and maintaining Health span is to make sure that you are properly monitoring your glucose levels throughout the day and not having big variations, big spikes in sugar highs and drops. You want to keep kind of that baseline, that steady line. And there's some tricks to do that. And one of the things that can help with insulin sensitivity is to make sure that the insulin that your pancreas is producing is actually having the intended impact on your blood sugar level is cold thermogenesis. This is one of those things that can actually impact that. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this in some granular detail is because I wanted you to know that this isn't just some goofy thing that I do for likes on Instagram or that all these people that are doing it, yes, it has become kind of a fad. Uh, You know, ever since Wim Hof uh, started doing, you know, the Iceman, not Wim Hof, I think he's probably the first guy that brought cold plunging for health into, into the forefront and to the to the uh, kind of the 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 everyday conversation amongst guys like me that are into all this anti-aging and longevity stuff, and then when you started hearing guys like Tim Tim Ferriss talk about ice showers, and then all of a sudden Rogan's talking about it, and now it's just kind of commonplace, and but it's not I I I, I don't like it when things become really popular that. People then tend to just dismiss as some kind of goofy fad, and they go, "Well, I'm not even going to do that because what we'll be hearing, you know, in ten years, that cold therapy is bad for you, and we should be taking hot baths again." I like to take these things because I'm the type. Let me tell you something: I am not a fad diet type guy. I'm a. I'm a I mean, I, there are so many different things that have become popular and faded, but still have a use if done right. And uh, one a great example of that is the ketogenic diet. Uh, there are times when a ketogenic diet is good for you. Is a ketogenic diet something you should stay on forever and ever and ever? Probably not. You, because what you're going to do is you're going to, to jack up your insulin sensitivity if you stay on a ketogenic diet. And I know some people will argue about that, and I'll probably get some emails about that, but the bottom line is that's just that you, you can impact, you can have an adverse impact on your um, insulin sensitivity insulin sensitivity if you stay on a ketogenic diet for too long. So see, that's something that became so popular and so big that people thought, oh my God, I've got to be on a ketogenic diet. And by the way, once I'm on it, I got to stay on it forever. Well, no, you don't, but there are some absolute incredible benefits to temporarily, uh, executing a ketogenic diet. This is the, and and that's, that's why I wanted to talk about this in some, 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 in, with some depth, right? So here is, uh, here is kind of just the, the ABCs of, of cold plunging and, and why you should do it. And so, uh, So I'm just going to read from this article that I wrote recently about the subject in the Vitruvian letter and then kind of get offer some commentary. So while the fuss about cold plunging and thermogenesis, if you're like most people, the thought of plunging into cold water might make you shiver. But what if I told you that there are some major benefits to be gained by taking a dip in ice cold water? Recent studies have shown that exposure to colder temperatures can actually help improve your overall health and wellness. Here's a closer look at why all the fuss about cold plunging and thermogenesis. Now, I want to tell you something. This is one of those things that I just want to be be very clear with all of you. It never gets easy. And I do think that there is an absolute benefit to beyond all the health benefits, the the, the physical health benefits that we're going to get into. I believe one of the primary benefits of, uh, of, of getting into extreme cold and making yourself that uncomfortable, and let's face it, there's just not a lot of things that we're going to put ourselves through that are, that's more uncomfortable than, than absolute severe cold. I do believe the mental aspect of that, for me, is one of the single greatest benefits of all forcing myself to get into that ice barrel when I really don't want to. I know it's never going to be comfortable, but what I do, I'm able to take myself a little bit ahead in time and know that I will always, and this is, this is an honest to goodness truth, folks. I have never regretted taking an ice bath. I always, 100% of the time, without fail, feel better after I take the ice bath. I have at times Not wanted to because I was just in a bad mood. I was in a funk. But I knew if I could just get over the hump of that funk uh, just for a moment to get in the ice bath that I would indeed feel better due to the dopamine rush and the endorphins running through my body that I would actually feel better. And I'm telling you, that is one of the single greatest benefits. All right. So what is cold plunging and why does it have benefits for the body? Cold plunging, also known as cryotherapy, is a practice made popular in recent years by the likes of Ben Greenfield. The simple practice consists of taking quick plunges into cold water, ideally no warmer than 50 or 60 degrees. Now, this is one of the questions I get a lot. How cold is cold? This is just my simple baseline. Cold is very uncomfortable. Okay. I don't know that anyone, and I may, uh, and, and this, uh, I don't think that Andrew Huberman actually talks about specifics on temperature in this clip I'm going to play for you in a little bit. But, and I know Ben Greenfield has never said this as as well is that, you know, there is no magic. It has to be right above freezing. The bottom line is, it, because the thing that you're trying to do right is to get your body to react you're, you're you're igniting reaction a hormonal reaction in your brain okay to release the dopamine the the releasing uh the, the the igniting of the central nervous system to start to keep you warm and that can happen in 50 to 60 degree temperatures i prefer it to be my, my sweet spot i think is around 42 degrees if i can get The ice barrel to ride at 42 degrees. It is money. Now, if it's just really because it's sitting outside. And so in the winter here in Texas, if it gets cold enough, it actually freezes over. There are times whenever I have to take a little sledgehammer to it and bust the ice and get in. So the water is right at freezing. And that's pretty awesome. But it doesn't have to be that cold. So I just want you to know right now, you don't have to have it at 33 friggin' degrees or 35 degrees to get the impact of it. All right, so no warmer than 50 to 60 degrees, which has significant mental and physical benefits. First, blood sugar uh, becomes better regulated after each plunge. Remember, that I said that earlier. That is incredibly important. This helps to stabilize blood pressure and fight off cravings that cause weight gain. Second, endorphins or the feel-good hormones are released, which leads to a more positive energy flow and improved focus. Lastly, metabolism is boosted up to nine times normal rates due to the body's approach towards keeping it warm. Increased calorie burn leads to weight loss over time. co plunging adds an attractive option alongside more traditional forms of exercise. A truly unique way to enhance any health routine. Your body is so amazing at taking care of itself essentially what happens is whenever you go into that that cold shock, your body immediately kicks into this kind of furnace of like, oh, wow, it's cold in here. We got to warm it up. And that's where that metabolic uh, increase happens. That's where it starts to burn the fires a little hotter to turn up the temperature. And then the release of those endorphins that feel good, uh, those feel good uh, hormones are just when they're released, that is one of the greatest aspects of this. Um, So anyway, let's continue. How does cold water therapy help the thermogenesis and weight loss specifically? Cold water therapy is becoming increasingly popular popular as a natural way to support weight loss. Not only can it boost the metabolism and rev up thermogenesis, but it also helps burn excess fat through specific physiological reactions. When cold water enters the body... The sympathetic nervous system kicks in and sends signals to fat cells, which leads to burning of stored fat for energy. Additionally, the sudden increase in metabolic activity raises core body temperature, which then increases thermogenesis. Because these processes require additional energy from the body's reserves, this form of therapy can be very helpful with natural weight loss over time. Now, I want to tell you the same thing that I would tell anyone that has looked into. Infrared. Now, infrared companies that are the, the sauna companies and the the and folks like that, they will make claims of weight loss as a reason for using infrared. And it's the same thing with um, cold cold exposure. There is a weight management component to this. But if you think that you're going to just start getting into an ice bath for two minutes and that's going to be your standard, you know protocol for trying to lose weight or manage your weight. No, don't, don't think of it like that. That's not the silver bullet for that. Um, you have to do this in conjunction with an overall exercise routine that includes some walking, some resistance training and all that. So I just want to, whenever I talk about weight management, I'm not saying that this should be something that you do for weight loss. As a matter of fact, excuse me, I had to take a sip of my tea there. As a matter of fact, I don't even really. When people ask me about it, I because I, I haven't lost weight as a result of uh, of doing ice baths, and I don't, I can't really say that 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 has been one of the primary drivers for me continuing on doing it. And it's not something I look for, but but nevertheless, it is one of those ancillary benefits that hey, if you're looking to manage your weight, this certainly is not gonna not gonna hurt. Are there any risks associated with cold plunging, and how can they be avoided? Important paragraph here. Cold plunging can offer a range of health benefits from reducing stress to improving blood circulation. However, it is important to be aware that there are some risks associated with this practice. If you're not taking the necessary precautions, you may increase your chances of developing cold-related illnesses or injuries such as hypothermia and muscular strains. To ensure a safe and enjoyable experience, it is important to Um, acclimatize yourself before entering the cold plunge by having a warm shower beforehand and starting off with cooler temperatures. It is also recommended that new cold plunge participants have someone nearby in case of any complications which may occur. With these precautions in mind, you can safely enjoy all the health benefits that come along with this invigorating pastime. Okay, here's what I generally do. I'm going to get into my ice bath after I've had my morning workout. And I can tell you right now, it, it, I think that this is a good way to kind of keep it as a practice too, to keep you going. If you just decide to wake up, you know, get the get the gunk out of your eyes, brush your teeth and hit, hit an ice plunge, you're making it harder on yourself. And look, what we want to do, it's like anything else. Whenever I'm talking about behavior changes and, and for, for habit formation, I always say remove as much resistance as possible going from the bed, brush your teeth out to the ice plunge, and it's going to wake you up. And I've done that. I experimented before I got the ice bath. Actually, what I used to do is hop right out of bed and go and get an ice shower to just boom. That's how I would start my day. And that's fine. But you're adding more pain to the process than you actually have to. Uh, This suggests taking a hot shower first. I mean, maybe I, I think with what i do is i warm my core temperature by exercising first i think there's probably some more benefit to that your body is warmer it is is i can tell you too whenever i go from hardcore cardio where i'm really sweating my my pores are open and then i go after that into an ice bath it is, uh, because my core temperature is already so high, the impact of the cold just isn't as great. Now, some of you out there that are better experts than I am that are listening to this, you may tell me that's not a good MO, and I've actually wondered about this. So if you have if you have an opinion, please let me know. Either DM me on Instagram or, or go to the contact page on Jason right now and let me know this. I'd really like to hear from you, because I have wondered if because my core temperature is already so elevated and I get into the ice bath and there's not that, that without that delta between my core temperature and the ice water, does that impact the shivering impact? And the only thing I've noticed as far as just, you know, literally just kind of the the physical, uh, what it feels like is if the water is like 50 to 55 degrees, The initial cold is there. It's kind of that that biting cold, but it just goes away much sooner and I'm I'm comfortable in the cold water a a lot quicker if I'm really uh, warmed up whenever I get into the water. However, if... The water is really cold. It almost doesn't matter what I've done prior to getting into the ice water. It's going to have the shivering effect. I'm going to have goosebumps. And by the way, that's one of the ways that I kind of gauge a very sophisticated method. Let me tell you that I gauge that it's actually working and I'm having the shivering effect and having that metabolic raise that's going to help me hopefully stimulate my metabolism is whenever I uh, I see goosebumps. If I see goosebumps, I know I'm doing some good. Okay. And, and also, it, I do think it's important, especially if you're older, um, have someone out there that is that watches you to make sure that you don't just like freeze up or go into some kind of shock and don't stay in there for, don't be a... You know, don't try to be a badass and stay in there for four or five minutes. There comes a point of diminishing returns. And if you're going out there like I am sometimes and the water is barely above freezing, you're not going to want to stay in there for three, four or five minutes because you don't want to find yourself, you know, engaging in, in hypothermia. There's just there's no benefit to that. So don't don't overdo this. Don't try to be a hero. Just get the benefits and move on. What are some other benefits of cold water therapy that people may not know about? Cold water therapy has long been praised for its pain relief abilities, but there are many more benefits to the practice than initially thought. Cold water therapy can also improve circulation and prevent inflammation, reduce stiffness in muscles and joints, stimulate your immune system, slow down the aging process due to its anti-inflammatory properties, and even decrease depression by releasing endorphins. And if you're looking to burn some extra calories with putting too much strain on your body, cold water immersion can help to boost your metabolism. In essence, cold water therapy is a versatile health practice with numerous mental and physical benefits that can easily be incorporated into anyone's lifestyle. Folks, I can tell you this. I rarely ever get sick. I just don't get sick. And when I do, um, I, it, it moves on very quickly. I, I think in the last maybe two years, I've had twice where I felt a little bit of congestion in my chest, maybe a stuffy nose, and it just moved on really fast. I mean, my immune system is so robust. And I can tell you this, I have not, and I just read to you there where the, uh, the ice baths can actually help with circulation. Here is something that I have noticed. It's really kind of weird. I have no explanation for this, and I don't think that anything I just read actually reinforces what I'm about to tell you. But I have noticed that my breathing is so much better after i've had my cold plunge i don't know what that means i don't know why but it just is i just breathe better and i'm a guy that has bad allergies i've had them my whole life so i almost always have at least a slightly stuffy nose it makes nose breathing which is most important which every one of you should do that's a topic for another day you should always be trying to breathe through your nose whenever possible it makes it really difficult for me uh but i have noticed that whenever I get into the cold plunge and whenever I get out, I, am, I my breathing is so much better. All right, how can someone get started with cold plunging if they're interested in trying it out themselves? All right now listen in. If you've never done this, here we go. Here's what you can do. If you're interested in trying out cold plunging, then the best place to start is an ice barrel or ice showers. And most people do start with an ice shower, and that is perfectly fine. Many ice bath experts believe this is to be the most beneficial form of cold bathing as it can provide a huge therapeutic effect, therapeutic effect, even, and even reduce inflammation. Another great way to get started with cold plunging is to just, is just going for regular walks in the wintertime. Now, this is something too that I first heard from Mike Mutzel who has high intensity health. That's his YouTube channel. And he also has a podcast. Mike is a phenomenal guy. I look to him for a lot of his research and what he's doing. And, he did a, a there's, there's an actual, um, show that he did where he just talked about if you don't have, uh, an ice barrel or you don't want to take an ice shower just to kind of get yourself some, some of the benefits of cold exposure. And I started doing this for a while. Would it be like 35 degrees outside? I would go for a walk in nothing but a t-shirt and shorts. You're not going to die. You're not going to get hypothermia You're not going to get sick and you don't have to get soaked in cold water but your your fingertips will start to sting. You know, your extremities will get cold, but that will give you some of the benefit without having to do this. So again, try to remove as much resistance as possible by kind of, you know, um, I guess, you know, uh, excuse the pond or whatever, putting your toe in the water, but you know, both figuratively and literally before you get going on this, okay? Uh, another great way to get started with cold plunging, okay, regular walks. Not only will this invigorate and energize yourself, but you'll also slowly begin to increase your tolerance for colder temperatures and condition your body over time. Lastly, if you don't mind being half naked in public, at least, which I don't, I have no inhibitions, at least until you become more used to ice bath temperatures, then try visiting a nature hotspot like a cold river pond or beach during colder months and just jump right in overall cold plunging has a lot of benefits for the human body that range from improving physical health to aiding in weight loss. It's relatively easy and safe to do. So if you're interested in trying it out for yourself, there are plenty of resources available to help you get started. Have you ever tried cold therapy and what are your results? I'd like to know. All right, so here's the deal. So that concludes the article that I wrote in the Vitruvian letter. Here is something, too, that you may want to try that, um, again, and look, I know you guys don't care where I learned this, but I always want to give credit where credit is due. Ben Greenfield was speaking at a conference not too terribly long ago, and I heard him say something that I frankly didn't uh, realize, that if you don't have the ability to get have an ice bath, an ice, uh, a, a, an ice barrel or something like that, or you live in an area where just a your water just doesn't get really cold in your shower then what you can do to actually get a lot of the same benefit is to fluctuate the water from hot to cold okay so you can start off as cold as you can and then move it to warm and then go back and forth you know about two minutes each two minutes each two minutes cold two minutes warm and this will this 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 dilation of your your blood vessels and just that it kind of that warm and then the shock of the cold can give you some of those benefits. And And so that's another thing that I will do if, again, if I'm traveling and I'm having to rely on a cold shower and it's in an area like Florida or somewhere where the water just doesn't get that cold, like I just got back from New York, let me tell you, water was plenty cold. And so all I had to do was crank it down to cold, stand under that shower for two or three minutes, and it was money. Same thing whenever I go to visit my youngest daughter in Boulder, Colorado, plenty of cold water up in the Rockies. But If you're in Texas during the summer, you're in Florida, somewhere like that, just fluctuate back and forth. Okay, so that's just some of the nitty gritty that this isn't just some fad thing and some like, look at me, some macho, overcoming mental, whatever. That is an incredible aspect of this is the mental component to it but it is deeper than that and it's an easy inexpensive way to increase longevity to lower inflammation to increase your insulin sensitivity to raise your mood there's just so many benefits to this and it's just such an easy i hate to say it but it's such an easy biohack if you hear if you've ever heard that term of biohacking and what the heck is it you hear, what does that mean biohacking here you go this is just kind of a basic run of the mill very popular at the moment biohack. So, all right, so let's listen to a little bit of what Andrew Huberman has to say on this topic. I would
1: encourage you to find the minimum threshold of stimulus that will allow you to derive the maximum benefit from each protocol. And indeed, I will point out what those thresholds ought to be today. I'll give you some simple formulas, gauges or guides that you can use in order to navigate this extremely interesting and potent tool that we
0: Okay. So there's something that I think is very important that he just said, which is what he's wanting to talk about is how you can implement this with the least amount of resistance. This goes back to whatever, what I was telling you earlier, you don't have to make this stuff so hard. You know, you don't have to go do just a soul crushing workout five days a week to get the benefits of good health and longevity. In fact, when you do that, when we put ourselves in overly stressful, overly taxing situations that can actually have an adverse impact. My friend, Joel Green always says, you know, when it comes to exercise and working out and doing these, these different protocols, you know, these tires, are bodies, these tires only have so much tread on them. So if you're just going hard to the hoop all the time and thinking that that's going to be the key to success and longevity, then you may actually be working against yourself. So let's continue.
1: and its many powerful applications i'd like to highlight a study that i find particularly interesting and that i think you will find particularly interesting and useful the title of this study is brief aerobic exercise immediately enhances visual attentional control and perceptual speed testing the mediating role of feelings of energy now the reason i like this study is first of all it's a fairly large size sample group they at 101 students, these were college-age students, and they had two groups. One group did 15 minutes of jogging at moderate intensity. So when they did measure percent heart rates, et cetera, but this would be uh, analogous to zone two cardio, which I've discussed on this podcast before. Zone two cardio is cardiovascular exercise that places you at a level where You can hold a conversation with a little bit of strain, meaning that you can get the words out, but every once in a while you have to catch your breath. Whereas if you were to push any harder by any mechanism going faster or on a steeper incline, etc., that you would have a hard time carrying out a conversation. So zone two cardio is uh, a common form of describing that level of intensity that they call moderate intensity.
0: So one group did 15 minutes. And if I could just real quickly tell you guys, <clears throat> a lot of people, you'll have the argument of should I be doing long distance running or long long Peloton rides for for weight management and overall cardiovascular health, or should I be doing the hit workouts? This is the problem, and this the, the deeper I get into understanding longevity and physical health and everything, there is not a binary on mo- there is this is not a zero sum game. The, the truth is that you because you'll hear it look because it gets clicks if I tell you that here's why you only need to be working out 15 minutes a day with a HIIT workout to have all these benefits the fact is you need to do both and zone two training is incredibly important. Like what I will try to do is at least four hours of zone two training that Andrew Huberman is talking about right now, which is just that steady, long burn. That's like those long, hour-long Peloton rides. But I'm also doing those short burst sprints and hit workouts in combination with those zone two workouts. So anyway, has nothing to do necessarily with thermogenesis and what the the core of this this podcast episode is about. But I just want to let you know that. For a lot of people, that's that's another common theme that comes up when people ask me about health and wellness. Do I need to be doing the long haul stuff or the hit the workouts like CrossFit? Do I just need to be doing CrossFit? No, you probably need to be doing a little bit of both. It's of jogging
1: at moderate intensity, which I'm translating to roughly zone two cardio. The other group did 15 minutes of relaxation concentration that is somewhat akin to mindfulness meditation. And then... They were analyzed for perceptual speed, visual attentional control, something called working memory, which is your ability to keep certain uh, batches of information online. Uh, just imagine uh, someone telling you their phone number and you have to remember that sequence of numbers in your, in your head uh, for some period of time, that's working memory. And it depends very heavily on the so-called prefrontal cortical networks, uh, which are involved in planning and action. And they also looked at people's feelings of energy and they measured that subjectively, how energetic people felt. Now, the major takeaways from this study that I'd like to emphasize are that the 15 minutes of jogging group experienced elevated levels of energy for some period of time after they ceased the exercise. Whereas the group that did mindfulness meditation actually reported feeling more calm and having less overall energy. Now that's very subjective and indeed they used subjective measures to uh, analyze energy. But what gets interesting is when they looked at performance on these various cognitive tasks and the two tasks that they use were called the trail making tests. They have different versions of this, version A, version B. I don't want to go into too much detail, but version A essentially involves having a page of numbers that are distributed somewhat randomly. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and and so on, but distributed randomly across the page. And people have to use visual search to circle those numbers in sequence. So this involves visual attention. It involves some motor skills, involves a number of things that certainly require energy and focus. The second test was the trail making test part B, as I mentioned earlier, and this involved also circling numbers in sequence, but interspersed between those numbers were letters. So rather than just having to circle off numbers in sequence, they actually had to connect one, then the letter A, then two, then the letter B, et cetera. And remember these are randomly distributed across a page. The major takeaway from the study is that the group that did the 15 minutes of moderate exercise prior to these two tests showed significant decreases in the amount of time required to complete these tests accurately that is interesting and indeed surprising at least to me because there have been many studies looking at the effects of mindfulness meditation on the ability to focus the key variable in the study turned out to be energy this feeling subjectively measured feeling i should say of having more energy and thereby the ability to focus especially in these high cognitive demand tasks now the takeaway from this study for all of us i think is pretty straightforward if you are going to sit down to do some work that requires focus and working memory and cognitive attention and especially if it's some visual spatial control meaning you have to search for things on a page you have to organize things on a page so this would be writing arithmetic basically cognitive work of any kind 15 minutes of moderate exercise done prior to that work bout could be very beneficial for you This does not mean that mindfulness meditation would not be a benefit to you. I wouldn't want you to conclude that. But if you had to choose between doing 15 minutes of mindfulness meditation and doing 15 minutes of moderate exercise prior to a cognitive work bout, I would say the 15 minutes of moderate exercise would be more valuable, at least based on the data in this paper. In many previous podcasts, I've talked about the powerful effects of doing things like mindfulness meditation and other forms of NSDR, non-sleep deep rest, so these could be 20-minute naps or just lying there quietly with your eyes closed or yoga nidra or NSDR scripts are available on YouTube and various other places free of cost of any kind. You can just go to YouTube, put in NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. Those protocols have been shown to be very beneficial for enhancing neuroplasticity, the changes in the brain and body that encode or shift the neural circuits that allow for memory, to change that allow for learning to occur after a learning bout. What I'm referring to today in this particular study is the use of cold exposure protocols. And there are a number of different reasons to use deliberate cold exposure. And I want to separate those out for you. There are cold protocols that have been tested in peer-reviewed studies that are designed to improve mental performance. They are designed to improve things like resilience or your grittiness or your ability to move through challenge or to regulate your mind and your internal state under conditions of stress. And we can define stress very specifically as times when adrenaline, also called epinephrine, and or norepinephrine, also called noradrenaline, are elevated in your body. Forgive me for the noradrenaline, norepinephrine, adrenaline, epinephrine nomenclature. I didn't make that up. It turns out that every once in a while, scientists disagree. Imagine that. And you'll get multiple scientists naming the same molecule different things. Okay, so epinephrine and adrenaline are the same thing. I will use them interchangeably. Norepinephrine and noradrenaline are the same thing. I will use those terms interchangeably. Noradrenaline and adrenaline are often co-released in the brain and body. So they work as kind of a pair to increase our level of agitation, our level of focus, and our desire and our ability to move. They are often co-released from different sites in the brain and body with dopamine, a molecule that is commonly misunderstood as the molecule of pleasure, but is actually the molecule of motivation, reward, and pursuit. So dopamine, norepinephrine, and noradrenaline tend to be Released together under certain conditions, and today you will learn how deliberate cold exposure can be used to cause increases in the release of several, if not all, of these in ways that can.
0: All right, now, one of the things I want to talk about right here I learned this from Stephen Kotler, author of The Art of Impossible, The Rise of Superman, co author of Bold, uh, co author of Stealing Fire, and he's written others. But he's kind of like the flow expert. And if you have ever wanted to get into a state of flow, it has everything to do with being able to manipulate your neurochemistry and these hormones that Dr. Huberman is talking about. If you can start to do things like cold thermogenesis and cold exposure to manipulate your neurochemistry it's a total game changer, which you can actually do through natural, natural causes, natural reasoning, natural protocols is you can have the impact of doing things that a lot of people are popping pills and doing things that are bad for them physically. They get the short-term benefit because you can, you don't have to pop a pill or to trigger some of this neurochemistry, these neurochemical reactions. You can actually do things like cold exposure. So I just want to just want to let you know that this is a primary component and kind of in the weeds that, that I wanted you to understand from this conversation on cold thermogenesis. Okay.
1: Improve your levels of attention and your mood. But the key point is that your mental state is shifted when you are exposed to certain forms of cold. And many people use deliberate cold exposure specifically to shift their body state as a way to train their mental state so that they can better cope with stress in real life and by real life i mean when life presents stressful events.
0: And I will give you... Okay, I want to give you... a real And I hope he doesn't say this. I don't think he does. But one of the best examples of this, Josh Waitzkin, the author of The Art of Learning. He was a grand master chess champion. He was the inspiration for the movie The Search for Body, Bobby Fisher. And now he is. A, he has a very, very high level consulting practice where he trains uh, other chess masters, athletes, CEOs on how to develop d- Develop this mental res- uh, resolve and this mental grit. And one of the things that he always said he would do to prepare for a uh, chess uh, championship or chess matches that he was going to enter was to practice in the worst of conditions. He would make himself play long, grueling games with little to no sleep. He would make people distract him. He would do all these things. And, and he's he's created a practice of going out and and training for things when he wanted to do them the least. One of the ways that Stephen Kotler, who I mentioned earlier, has made himself more resilient and better to give speeches is like he will actually go to climb a mountain while giving the speech out loud as he climbs the mountain, because he knows that if he can deliver the speech from memory while going through the grueling terrain of climbing a mountain out in New Mexico, then he knows that standing on a stage in a climate controlled environment where everyone's sitting calm and he has all, all use of his faculties, his breath, everything, it's going to be that much easier. So I think that's an por- important component of this. Specific protocols as to
1: how you can do that.
0: In other words, how you can become
1: more resilient through the use of deliberate cold exposure. Now, because of the ways in which deliberate cold exposure can increase this category of chemicals called the catecholamines. That includes dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. It can also be used to elevate mood for long periods of time. And I'm going to discuss a specific protocol that has been shown to increase these chemicals anywhere from 2.5X, so 250%, to as high as 500%, five times over baseline. Now you might be asking whether or not it's a good thing to raise chemicals like norepinephrine and dopamine to such a great degree, whether or not that's healthy for us, whether or not they can harm us, but it turns out that these elevations in norepinephrine and dopamine are very long lasting in ways that people report feeling vast improvements in mood and vast improvements in levels of cognitive attention and energy. So by my read of the literature, these seem to be healthy increases in our baseline levels of these chemicals in ways that can really support us. So I'll give you a protocol for that. Now, those are some of the mental effects of deliberate cold exposure. But deliberate cold exposure has also been studied in animal models and in humans in the context of increasing metabolism. Even in converting certain fat cells that we call white fat cells, which are the ones where energy is stored, they're the ones that we typically think of as kind of blubbery fat, to beige or brown fat, which is thermogenic fat, meaning that it can increase core body temperature and serves as kind of the furnace by which we increase our core metabolism. So with a very broad stroke, I can say that white fat is generally the kind of fat that people want less of, and beige fat and brown fat is generally the kind of fat that if you're going to have fat cells, and you certainly need fat cells that you want more of. They are thermogenic. They help you stay lean. They actually serve as a reservoir for heating your body up if you're ever confronted with a cold challenge. So we're going to talk about how to use cold for metabolism as well. And of course, people are using deliberate cold exposure to reduce inflammation post-exercise, to reduce inflammation generally. And people are also using cold to enhance performance in the context of strength training, in the context of endurance training, and we'll talk about those data as well. But where I'd like to start is with mental performance, and I'd like to detail what happens when we deliberately expose ourselves to cold. It's key to point out the word deliberate. If I don't say otherwise, then throughout this episode, if I say cold exposure, I mean deliberate cold exposure. And the reason I point that out is that as my colleague David Spiegel in the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford says, it's not just about the state that we are in. It's about the state that we are in and whether or not we had anything to do with placing ourselves into that state and whether or not we did that on purpose or not. And what he really means by that statement is that there are important effects of what we call mindset. Mindset was a topic discussed in the guest episode with Ali Crum some weeks ago. If you haven't seen that episode, I highly recommend it. And the science of mindset tells us that if we are doing something deliberately and we believe that it's going to be good for us, it actually can lead to a different set of physiological effects than if something is happening to us against our will or without our control. Now, this is different than placebo. Effect.
0: All right. So I want to tell you a cool subject to kind of back this up or, or a study that was done. There was a group of housekeepers at a hotel that were put through this, um, this, research, uh, th- th- this research project. And... Essentially, they asked all of these uh, housekeepers at this hotel because the, the the company that owned the hotel was trying to figure out a way to create a, a a health and wellness program. And so they asked them, "How much exercise do you generally get?" And all of them reported very low levels of exercise. And why? It's because they were working all the time. And, and I mean, that's one of the toughest jobs you can have is going around cleaning hotels, going up and down. And it's just it's tough. And so they weren't going home and getting on a treadmill or something, right? And so what they did was they actually took and they put posters up explaining how much exercise these housekeepers were actually getting by doing their jobs. And so all of a the sudden these these housekeepers that before didn't think they were getting hardly any exercise when they started looking at their job mentally as exercise their their their, their physical improvement measured by BMI measured by cardiovascular measures vo2 max all increased on like there were some that were like 30 percent increases on these subjects because they had actually started viewing what they were doing as exercise so that kind of that that's kind of what the, the point that dr human human is making here there is a profound impact of matching our mind, what we're doing, why we're doing and perceiving the benefit of it and it actually having its intended impact.
1: If you want to learn more about that distinction, please see the episode with Ali Crumb. But again, when I talk about cold exposure in this episode, I'm talking about deliberate cold exposure, meaning that you are placing yourself into a cold environment on purpose in order to extract a particular set of benefits when we talk about deliberate cold exposure almost always that means getting uncomfortable and one of the most common questions i get when discussing the use of cold for sake of mental or physical performance metabolism etc is how cold should it be how cold should the water be how cold should the environment be And I just will tell you now, and I'm going to say this again and again throughout the episode because it will continue to be true throughout the episode and long after the episode is over. How cold depends on your cold tolerance, your core metabolism and a number of other features that there is simply no way I could know or have access to. So I would like you to use this rule of thumb. If you are using deliberate cold exposure, the environment that you place yourself into should place your mind into a state of, whoa, I would really like to get out of this environment, but I can stay in safely. Okay. Now that might seem a little bit arbitrary, but let's say you were to get into a warm shower and it would feel really, really nice. And you were to start turning down the warm and turning up the cold. There would be some threshold at which it would feel uncomfortable to you. And if you were to continue to make a little bit colder than that, you would really want to get out of the shower, but you were confident that you could stay in without risking your health right without risking a heart attack now that's very different than jumping into a very very cold lake or you know i've seen these images of people that will cut holes into um you know frozen over lakes and they'll get into that cold water if you are trained to do that and you have the right conditions etc that can be done reasonably safely but that's certainly not what i would start with and for many people that will be too cold and indeed some people can go into cold shock and can die as a consequence of getting to that extremely cold water very quickly. Now, that's not to scare you away from deliberate cold exposure. It's just to say that there's no simple prescriptive of how cold to make the environment in order to extract maximum benefit for mental or physical performance. So the simple rule of thumb is going to be place yourself into an environment that is uncomfortably cold, but that you can stay in safely. Okay, And you'll have to experiment a bit. And that number meaning that temperature will vary from day to day. It will vary across the 24 hour cycle because of that endogenous meaning that internal rhythm in temperature that I talked about earlier low early in the day rises into the afternoon drops at night. You can actually do this experiment if you like try getting into a cold shower at 11 o'clock at night if you want versus try doing it in the middle of the afternoon. It's quite a different experience. And by quite a different experience, I mean it's, it requires quite a different degree of resilience and leaning into the practice. Your willpower will have to be higher, I suspect, late in the day as it compared to early in the day. But that will vary, of course, between individuals as well.
0: Which, by the way, just as a little bit of a bonus message here, if you have important things that you need to do during the day, always front-end load your day. People that have asked me about how to, how to kind of manage their, their, their day and the rhythm of the day, it, it works the same way weekly. Get all of your most important tasks front-end loaded to the front of the week and then as it relates to the day, do the hardest things early because our willpower wanes by the end of the day. That's just natural. Look, we got all this crap. We start out fresh. A lot of a lot of junk comes into our brains throughout the course of the day. It gets more cluttered. Willpower goes low. Energy levels reduce. So always this is it's a great point. Again, it has nothing to do with thermogenesis, but just as a point of just, you know, how do you structure your day and your week better to where you're going to get the most done and use and manage energy versus managing time time this is a good way to do it so anyway let's continue
1: the most common question i get about deliberate cold exposure is how cold should the water be and we've answered that with uncomfortably cold to the point where you want to get out but you can safely stay in the second most common question i get about deliberate cold exposure is whether or not cold showers are as good better or worse than cold water immersion up to the neck For instance, I also get a lot of questions about whether or not cryo chambers are better than all the others, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to make all of that very simple for you by saying cold water immersion up to the neck with your feet and hands submerged also is going to be the most effective. Second best would be cold shower. Third best would be to go outside with a minimum amount of clothing, but of course, clothing that is culturally appropriate and that would allow you to experience cold to the point where you would almost want to shiver or start shivering. Now, there are a number of different important constraints that are going to dictate whether or not you use one form of cold exposure or the other. For instance, some people don't have access to cold water immersion. They don't have access to ice baths or cold water tanks, uh, cold ocean or cold lakes, etc. In that case, showers would be the next best solution. I do want to emphasize that there have been very few, if any, studies of cold showers. And you can imagine why this would be the case. In a laboratory, you want to control for as many variables as possible. So placing people into a cold water immersion or an ice bath up to the neck and insisting that they keep their hands and feet under is very easy to control. It means that everyone can do essentially the same thing. Whereas with cold showers, people are different sized bodies. Some people are gonna put their head under, some people are are going to lean forward measuring the amount of cold water exposure on the body is very hard to do. And so there aren't a lot of studies of cold showers. But of course, a lot of people don't have access to cold water immersion, so they have to use cold showers. And if you don't have access to both, of course, then going outside on a cold day can be of benefit. But I will point out that the heat transfer from your body into water is much higher, four times greater, if not even greater depending on the temperature of the water in water as opposed to in air. So it's going to be much more efficient to do cold water immersion than anything else. Cold showers after that and put yourself into a cold environment would be the third best thing.
0: All right, and I think that's where we'll end it with, uh, with Dr. Huberman there just because I don't want to take the, the entire rest of the show up with uh, you learning all the nitty-gritty details from Andrew Huberman about this. But I did thought, think that that would be beneficial because he reinforced a lot of the things that I said in, in the, in the, in the, the lead-up to that, which is, look, don't overthink this don't overthink it as to gosh do I have to take a cold shower do I have do I have to go invest in an ice barrel? do I have to go get one of these I mean there's some just magnificent cold plunges that I would love to have uh, Do I have to go subscribe to cryotherapy? No it can be as simple as going and walking outside with a t-shirt and shorts when it's cold outside. But also remember this if you just happen to be sitting in the deer stand and you get really really cold, you know, and don't start thinking, well, you know, hey, I don't have to do my cold bath today because, I mean, it was I was really cold out there at, at the deer lease this weekend. No, it has to be a mental focus as well. You have to have all these factors. But here's the deal and this is the main reason why I wanted to have this episode is to show you guys and to bring you this idea that it's not just some goofy fad. It's not just something to do for the gram. It's not just part of this, you know, the biohackers world. It is a real protocol that that you can implement easily, effectively, at a low cost, low barriers to entry, and has magnificent benefits. And it's not just, you know, so many people just worry about what can I do to lose weight? What can I do to lose weight? And there's so much more to health than that. You guys know that. And that's one of the things I'm constantly trying to tell people. It's like, look, it's not about just dropping pounds because look, that can be unhealthy. You can actually damage your fat cells if you lose weight too quickly you actually cause cellular damage that makes the weight not only come back sooner but also harder to lose the next time and 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 essentially what we want to be is healthy mentally and if you can start to figure out how to manipulate that neurochemistry I was telling you about and to make yourself more resistant and to make yourself more, uh, your, your immune system, more robust and your blood sugar, more, more consistent and, 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 and have more insulin sensitivity, all these things. That's how you're going to live longer. That's how you're going to be healthier. And a lot of these benefits can be derived from cold exposure. So that was just kind of a deep dive that I wanted to bring you guys today about cold exposure, why I do it, why I think that Um, everyone should implement at least some aspect of it into their protocol. I appreciate it. Hey, that's it. I hope you have a magnificent day. And remember, until we meet again, continue to improve always in all ways. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, Thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve. Always in always. I'm out.